Hi there, this is James Eke, and you are listening to Warrior's Way Podcast. We're in Season 3, and this is Episode 112. But before we kick things off, if you are a long-time listener to the Warrior's Way Podcast, you've probably heard me give my spiel. If you're brand new and you're looking for ways to improve your training, ways to improve your life, get more out of your martial arts, your fitness, maybe get a meditation program going. And if you want to take all the cool stuff that we talk about here on this podcast and amplify it even more, I've got something for you. The Warrior's Way online training program is online and ready to go. And honestly, the thing is awesome, if I do say so myself, which I am. (laughs) Uh, The thing is the culmination of like 40 years of training that I've been doing in the martial arts. And it uh, took me the better part of a year to put together. And to be honest with you, I've been working on it in other ways for a few years. And basically trying to come up with ways that I can reach more people, offer a broader and more in-depth approach to how I train, what works for me, what training means to me, and the Warrior's Way online training program is exactly that. You can get virtual one-on-one time with me in a variety of disciplines. You can get awesome and unique online martial arts fusion classes that I've put together from about 10 different martial arts, and you can train along with me in them. Um, And there's a whole lot more. You can learn to meditate, for instance. You can get some wicked killer workouts that I've put together. Uh, There's breath work. There's supplemental martial arts videos. You name it, it's on there. Well, maybe not you name it. There's no cooking videos, but there's a whole lot of other cool stuff. Warrior's Way online training program, I can guarantee you it has something for everyone. Get in the shape of your life, hone your martial arts skills, improve mobility, Learn how to meditate, breath work, practice, all this and more. You can get it there with Warriors Way Online Training Program. So, maybe press pause or maybe write this down. But you want to head over to our new website, warriorsway.ca. It's a pretty cool website if I do say so myself. I made it. (laughs) And there's a portal there that gets you into the Warrior's Way online training program. And it breaks down what all the different membership tiers are and everything else. So you can start training with me today from wherever you are around the world. You have the opportunity to get, you know, if you go for the, the bargain, you can get a new fusion martial arts class every week. And it works out to like 16 bucks a month. Or you can get some of the upper tier ones where you get access to the whole program and you get one-on-one online training with me where we can talk and all that kind of good stuff. So that's pretty awesome, I think. Drop me a line and we can talk about it. And we can figure out what works for you, how to get you started, and I hope to see you there. Do it. Warriorsway.ca. Before we get going with this thing, just a little public service announcement. If you haven't gotten your COVID vaccine yet, get out there and get the dang thing. 
unless you love COVID. If you love COVID and you love, you know, the chaos and you love the lockdowns and you love not being able to do all the things that you used to like to do, then maybe the vaccine's not right for you. But <laughs> I'm being facetious. If you're a living, breathing human being, you probably are done with this thing and you want to get on with your life. And the only way we're going to get there, folks, is to get the vaccine. We need more people to be vaccinated. It is science. It is safe. Just get the thing in your arm and let's do this. Not only is it going to protect you, but it's going to protect all those other people. Okay, this is not some cabal. This is not some conspiracy. It's a pandemic. These things have happened over our human society or whatever the word is. From antiquity, we've had plagues and this is ours. Lucky us. But we have one thing on our side, the vaccines. So get the vaccine. This is not the Black Death. We don't have to keep living with this over and over again forever. You get the jab, you go on with your life, and everybody else gets to go on with theirs. It's pretty smart, and it's the right thing to do, and it's what this podcast is all about. So if you're a regular listener and you're sitting on the fence about that thing, man, smack yourself upside the head and then go and get yourself the shot, okay? Let's get on with our lives, and let's get on with the podcast. The U.S. Census Bureau does something called a pulse survey, where they take the temperature of our nation's mental health. And boy, is it a grim reading. In 2019, about 10% of people who filed the survey registered symptoms associated with generalized anxiety disorder, or GAD, GAD. When the same poll was taken in 2020, it went up to 30 And what was even more concerning is that for individuals who live alone, the number was 50%. The end of the pandemic isn't doing anything to lessen this. As I've seen in my therapy practice and in studies like this, there's a preponderance of individuals who've been experiencing some degree of discomfort at the thoughts of returning to the interpersonal sphere of social interactions. The pandemic and social distancing activated social anxiety for many people. Ordinarily, we have ongoing concerns about how well other people view us. Whether we are thought about positively or negatively, we have ongoing social concerns that have been wired into us by evolution, and we have worries about social rejection. If you have ongoing regular interactions with people, you get used to awkward situations. You get used to awkward pauses in conversation. You get used to seeing people whose eyes or facial expressions you can't quite make out. What happens when we have ongoing social interactions is our fears of social rejection or being viewed as incompetent or worthless by others is overwritten by actual experiences. We have reaffirming positive interpersonal interactions that show us that we're still solidly connected with others, which allows us to lessen our worries. It allows us to alleviate our concerns about any form of disconnection or rejection. 
But over the last year, we haven't had those robust interpersonal interactions that can disprove our fears. And even if you did have those interactions, there was probably a mask over your face and over other people's faces. So you couldn't see the nonverbal cues that were being sent to you by others, the facial cues that help alleviate our concerns. For the socially anxious brain, the threat is not a predator. It's not starvation. It's not the threat of being attacked. The threat for those of us with social anxiety is the sense that others will judge us, will view us as somehow flawed or incompetent or useless or unworthy. And this ongoing concern leads to a host of stressful states internally. The first is we become hypervigilant and start monitoring other people's facial expressions, looking for even the slightest hint that they are negatively evaluating us. And that creates an ongoing challenge that's actually quite stressful for working memory. While we're trying to think of what we're saying and doing at the same time, we feel the need to constantly monitor other people's eye contact and expressions and body language for any sense of disapproval. Social anxiety is notorious for activating self-conscious, ruminating thoughts along the lines of, after we say something, thinking, holy, that was a stupid thing to say. It makes us awkward. We become stiff. We can't relax. Our bodies become tight. Our heart rate increases. We start to become aware sometimes. If it's really acute of ourselves sweating, our heart pounding, or a sense of feeling overwhelmed. If this happens enough, it can turn into full social anxiety disorder, which is essentially a chronic ongoing worry of embarrassing ourselves or being judged as less than by others. It's a hypervigilance that never switches off, especially when we're around others. Over time, any form of social anxiety or general anxiety develops to avoidance coping, where we start avoiding situations and people that could trigger the anxiety. So the anxiety grows. And of course, the more we avoid social interactions, the scarier social interactions become, and the more anxiety it triggers. It's a feedback loop. And on top of that, finally, over time, social anxiety can exacerbate core shame. Core shame is an underlying feeling that there's something wrong with us, something unlovable about us. It becomes a chronic sense that there's something that we have to hide from others that there's something others will see in us that makes us unworthy of love. Now, those facing social or any form of anxiety without any prior experience will struggle more, not less. This is because they've never had to manage the symptoms and the underlying roots of anxiety disorder. It can be very disconcerting for people who haven't had much anxiety up until this point or much underlying discomfort around groups of people, interpersonal events, interacting with colleagues, going back to an office, or whatever. So what are the ways to address it? Every cognitive behavioral therapist will espouse a very useful tool known as incremental exposure. Rather than jumping back into our life as the pandemic begins to fade away, rather than rushing back into the world and going into situations where we're surrounded by others or events where we have to perform or anything of the sort, we start by connecting with those who are in our inner circle. These are the people we've associated with in the past and with whom we find it safe and comforting to be around. 
we can just start with small interpersonal gatherings of one or two or three people. And then we reach out to individuals that we're slowly warming up to and expand our social circle to include eventually some situations that trigger some nervousness or discomfort. The goal of most approaches to anxiety is to take our time to socialize at our comfort level and push ourselves each time to open the circle a bit wider or to include situations that are more challenging for us. Hopefully, there will not be anyone in our lives trying to make us rush back into the world too quickly. Right now, in May 2021, is the perfect time to start incrementally interacting with individuals. The second tool is revealing to others that we're anxious, not trying to conceal it. Why is this so important? When we fail to disclose our internal experiences to others, that sets up a notorious feedback loop that makes anxiety worse. It's like this. We try to seem natural and comfortable, yet we have to monitor if other people notice that we're not comfortable and relaxed. So we have to pay careful attention to the subtleties of their facial expressions, looking for the slightest cues that they have spotted something in our demeanor that is a giveaway of our lack of comfort or anxiety. At the same time, we have to maintain an awareness of whatever it is we're talking about or whatever is going on. So that, so that's a classic menu or ingredients, I should say, for cognitive overload. It's very difficult to be relaxed, present, and interactive if our brain is not only monitoring our internal state for anxiety, but also monitoring other people to see if they spot the anxiety. Then add in trying to be relaxed and funny and witty at the same time. From a personal angle, I can say that there are many social settings where I don't feel particularly comfortable, as I've noted quite a number of times over the years. If there is a least favorite thing for me to do, it's going to people's weddings. There's no excuse for throwing a big wedding. I find them to be just a horrific experience. Because what happens? You get seated at a table with seven complete strangers who you don't know. And generally in my case, because I'm a Buddhist pastor and I'm tattooed, People will put me at a table with the strangest oddballs in the entire family because they decide Josh is a Buddhist, he's weird, he can accept and deal with pretty much anyone. And then they'll put Uncle Maury, who once went to India at the table with me because they think we'll have something to talk about. I'm not gifted at wedding small talk. And the only way I can ever bond with people at weddings at the dinner table is when I say... I'm finding sitting at dinner tables at weddings really awkward. Over the years, I've actually made quite a number of friends at weddings because they say, yeah, I really hate sitting at tables with strangers too. And then we have all kinds of fun conversations. And then I don't have to sit there hiding the fact that I find the experience difficult. One study showed that when people disclose that they're having anxiety in public speaking, it was the most efficient way to regulate their heart rate and their skin valiance. Disclosure is the best way. The third tool is shifting the spotlight. Attention is like a spotlight. When we focus on it, it grows bigger and more prevalent in our life. 
Here's the problem with attention. If we don't take a hold of our attention, focus it, and learn to guide it, then very often our attention will be pinned to the most distressing sensation or internal experience in any setting. And that will focus our attention first on our anxiety and then on the automatic thoughts associated with our anxiety. So the key is to focus our attention on something that's not stressful, to orient to safety keys in the environment. And this requires practice. Most people only guide their attention very little on any given day. Most of the time they just follow, they just allow the unconscious mechanisms of the brain to guide attention. So we're prone to stressful default thinking. To alleviate anxiety, we have to learn to guide our attention to the safe and useful sensations and experiences. For example, if you don't focus your attention and you're giving a talk, you will find the person who is giving you the least friendly expression and pin your attention to that one person. You would think your brain would not want to focus on the one person who's frowning or giving you negative expression. But remember, the right brain, which controls attention when we're not actively guiding your attention, will look for the single threat. The heart of reducing anxiety is focusing away from our internal rumination, away from the sensations of our heart fluttering or our stomach churning and finding something soothing in the environment. It could be a nice painting in the room, or it could be looking out of a window. It could be someone who's actually looking at us smiling. It could be anything, as long as we're resting our attention on something that's pleasant. It's very important to view anxiety not as something to be pushed away, but to allow ourselves to be scared. As we say in the Dharma world, what we resist persists. The Dharma focuses on learning to be with fear rather than trying to hide it or conceal it. One of the oldest Buddhist teachings is the five daily recollections. I'm of the nature to grow old, to become sick, to die, to be separated from those I love and all that I own, and that I own all of my actions. But we could add to this list, I'm of the nature to be anxious at times. Rather than view it as a mistake or something to be ashamed of, this is just another part of being human. One way I've also put it into my practice is trying to move from but to and. But thinking is, I would like to travel, but I get anxious when I'm on a plane, so I can't travel. And thinking is, I like to travel, and I get anxious. So I still do it. Even though we know we will experience anxiety, we welcome it. We don't try to push it away. And in doing so, we actually mitigate the feelings of anxiety. We focus less on it. And we're more likely to focus on other sensations. Remember, even if it seems that other people are relaxed and eager to get back to life in the world, we can't see their internal experience. We are generally comparing our insides with their outsides, and that's never going to work. No one has been through a pandemic before, so there's no right way to do it. There's no right way to get back into the world either. So that 
was adapted from Josh Corda's Tricycle Magazine Dharma Talk called Addressing, Addressing Anxiety After Social Distancing. And if you don't know who Josh Corda is, he's been the guiding teacher of Dharma Punks New York City since about 2005. And he is a teacher in the Against the Stream lineage. And he's also a visiting teacher at the New York Zen Center for Contemplative Care. What a great, great, great bit. Um, I kind of was two-sided about this one. I wanted to add it into the podcast, but then I was kind of like, well, it's not quite like all of my other podcasts. But if you've noticed this season, I've been trying to have more of the podcast about what we're going through. Uh, there's going to be plenty of time to get back to, you know, doing things on this cool samurai or this person or that. But our training means a whole lot more than just, you know, some historical or philosophical things. All of that actually doesn't matter if we can't take our training into our lives, if we can't figure out what our lives actually are about, and if we can't figure out what training actually means. And this article, this uh, Dharma talk that Josh did is everything about what real training is about. I personally don't think for a moment that anyone from crackpot conspiracy theorists to hypochondriac germaphobes and all the rest of everybody in between will escape from COVID unscathed. We have all been through something hard, very hard, something bizarre, something that has changed the way we think, something that has changed the way we act, and something that has changed the way we feel. And when you put that all together over a long period of time that this has gone on, it changes you. Many people, and maybe people that are listening to this right now, many people have lost those that they care about, or they have lost businesses, or they have lost the schools that they have trained at, or they have lost simply their view of who they thought they were. Where we all go from here is anyone's guess at this point. Will COVID ever be gone? At this point, it doesn't look that way. How will we have to respond to it? Well, it probably depends partially on where you live. I'm in Canada. And our government took things very seriously. Even though, to be honest, I wish they took it even more seriously. For instance, my martial arts school, it has been shut down with imposed restrictions. Or it was, actually. It was shut down from imposed restrictions um, during the first lockdown. And then we were allowed to open for a few months and we all had to stay six feet apart with masks on. And then we have been shut down for another eight months. 
And as I'm recording this, we probably have another month at least before we can open. And likely with the same six feet apart rule, at least for a few months until enough people get vaccinated and these insane variants are under control. More than one person has asked me what I think martial arts training is going to be like, or maybe more honestly, how they can feel okay with getting back to things like they were before. My best advice is 100% in line with my own personal blinking neon sign view of training. And that is be kind and compassionate to yourself and to others. What does that mean though? COVID has been a very valuable lesson for us in terms of view of self and our relation to others, or at least it should have been. It's been valuable in teaching us patience and being in the moment. And it's been valuable in showing us what actually matters in our life. What actually matters? Before COVID, most people in the West looked at their lives as somehow solitary special moonbeams, but suddenly we all had to realize that the things we do could not just impact others, but could kill them. And more importantly, the simple fact that all of us are connected to each other in ways we probably never ever realized or thought of or even cared about. I think that moving forward through the place we are with the pandemic and where we are headed, it is important for us to be kind and compassionate with ourselves and others. Not everyone will be in the same place with this. And we need to let go of the need to get things back to whatever normal used to be. That's gone. Whatever it is that we remember that being. Truth be told, there was nothing so inherently great about the greedy, selfish, self-centered way things were before. We've been given a chance to make a new normal for ourselves and for our world. We've been given a chance to make a world that is kinder, more understanding, more supportive, more able to adjust to things, and to do that for ourselves. We know now how important people who have our backs are and how important it is to have other people's backs. If you didn't learn that, man, I don't know. We know now that we have to think about others perhaps more than ourselves. We know now that we have to take care of this planet and our communities. All of it is valuable. As for what we need to do to be able to move on from here, I think that first of all, you need to make sure that you are training your inner self to be resilient, to be calm, and to be compassionate. And this means meditation. This means learning to let go. This means training and cultivating compassion, 
which can be a lot harder than learning how to sit and breathe. I think you need to stay in shape physically, and this means working out for sure, but also getting back on the dojo mats when you can and training. And at first, this might be some solo work or training that you can do at an arm's length. Martial arts done in a kind and compassionate manner, but allowing us to release frustration, allowing us to interact with others in a safe environment is going to be, excuse me, it's going to be an ointment for the wounds left behind in all of us that COVID gave. We have to move forward. We have to follow that light at the end of the tunnel. We have to do it in a way that is not going to harm others or cause any more misery. Martial arts and training can always have power to it. Power that has the ability to heal. And this is going to be even more important in the months and years to come. We have to have faith and understanding in our training partners, and we have to have admiration for our teachers and our schools that have somehow weathered this terrible storm and ensured that we have dojos to train at when so many didn't make it. We have to love our systems and styles that have given us so much and will continue to help us evolve and grow. Most of all, though, we have to have compassion and kindness for ourselves. Don't push ourselves too hard when what we need is to be slow and understanding. This path of training is long and it is difficult, but if we stick to it, amazing things can happen. There's nothing to fear when we keep our light of compassion shining and our mind open and able to see what is right and what isn't working. We can push through this. We've made it this far together, folks, and we can and will be standing together in this new world that will replace that old one that we've already lost. So let's let go of it and let's find something better together. That sounds good to me. So the question of the week, question of the week is from Maurice. Maurice wants to know, what do you think the most important aspect of training is? (laughs) This is a huge question for someone like me. Maybe that's why you asked. Training for me is a big meal. It is physical aspects like fitness with running and cycling and strength training and that sort of thing. It's the aspects that include meditation and breath work and cultivating compassion like I was just talking about and learning to let go. It's also the aspects that include all the martial arts that I do. And here's the thing. None of these are actually separate. In fact, they're all intertwined and cross-pollinate each other. If you want me to shine a light on just one aspect and say that that one matters the most and the others are less important, it'd be a really hard thing to do because one needs the other. But that said, for the sake of answering a big question, 
I would probably say that to cultivate compassion for yourself and others is the greatest thing we can ever do. How you get there is another deal. You need to get to a place of true honesty. And you need to be honest and see where you are and how you are. You also need to be kind to yourself because quite simply, the more you train yourself in compassion, the more you will see how you utterly fail at it all the time. But that's okay. You're going to see that you'll be unkind to yourself at the drop of a hat. You're going to swat at that bug flying around you. You'll eat things without the thought of where it came from or how it came into being. You'll get angry at others. You'll be frustrated by others. You'll fail at something that you would think you could do. I mean, how hard can it really be to be compassionate and kind? So I think that if anything, I would say that you need to work at that a lot. Make that the reason that you train in jujitsu or in karate or kali or yaido or whatever else. Make that the center of your meditation. Make the, that the reason you want to be fit and you want to be healthy so that you can be training in this terribly hard path of compassion and kindness. In the end, we need to start our training of compassion with ourselves. And then you let that light shine outward. So there you go. Good question. Hope that was a good answer. And I think we're going to tie it up right there. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. I would love you to check out our new website, warriorsway.ca. So just go to www.warriorsway.ca and see what is there. Um, I'm thinking about adding some stuff to it, but right now it is what it is. Uh, you can also, like I said, get in through there to check out the Warriors Way online training program. And uh, like I mentioned, don't be afraid to drop me a line and we can talk about it if you're sitting on the fence and thinking that it's something you might like to do. And I would love to see you do it because I'm pretty proud of it. And uh, like I said, it is one way that ensures that this podcast keeps going on. Because as you know, this is free. And free is good, man. Unless you're the one that's working away to give away stuff for free. <laughs> and then it's just a lot of hard work. Uh, and I put a lot into this thing. So I would love you to check it out. And I'd love you to, to get aboard and we can do some cool stuff together. And help change this world for the better. Um, Warriors Way podcast is on Instagram. We're also on Facebook. If you dig the stuff that I lay down on this podcast, you can check out some of the books that I've written. You can find those on Amazon. You can get them for your Kobo. You can get them for your Kindle. Or you can get them as an actual paper book. One of those old-fashioned things. And until next time, folks, get out there. Live a great life. Be compassionate. Train hard, have fun, be the best friend possible. Because in the end, if you do that, 
this world to be a better place for you having been in it. Thanks a lot.